guys, welcome to the Zen Plus podcast. Today, I have a very special guest that I'm super excited about. I've read many of his books, and his name is MJ DeMarco. He's the author behind the, the best-selling book, The Millionaire Fastlane. He also has the Millionaire Fastlane Forum. He's built businesses. He's been an employee before. He has other incredible books like Unscripted that I'm currently reading. But really, I wanted to interview MJ because I'm new to entrepreneurship, and I look at MJ as someone who is a thought leader in this space, not just talking about what to do in your business, but also to shift the way you think about entrepreneurship. So I'm very excited for this. Uh, I want to thank you, number one, for you know letting me have this conversation with you. But I guess I'll just pass it over to you, MJ, just to uh, briefly explain who, who you are, what you do, and then maybe we'll dive into your story. Sure. Um, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Um, by that, I mean when I was... Uh, 10 years old, I was hosting magic shows for the mm. neighborhood kids. And although I sucked at magic and that didn't work out very well. Um, but uh, my turning point uh, when I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur was when I was um, a teenager or maybe 12. I'm not sure of the age. I was young enough to walk to the ice cream store where I saw a Lamborghini. And uh, I was just absolutely amazed because it was a young guy driving it. You know, someone 22 or 25 or something. And I was just like, wow, you know, how could that guy afford that? He must be, you know, he must be an actor. He must be an, uh, an athlete, a baseball player or something. And I was a pretty shy kid, but I actually went up to the guy and asked him what he did. And basically he alluded he was an entrepreneur. So that set the seed for me at a very young age that I want to be an entrepreneur, you know what? Because I want to be like that guy. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I would love because I loved Lamborghinis at the time, and I still do. I wanted to own one of those, and I wanted to do it when I was, you know, 25, 30, and not, you know, wait till 65 where I can maybe afford it, you know. So that took me, um, set me on the stage to be an entrepreneur. Now it took me, I'm going to say good eight years for actually that identity to actually match. Uh, I started a business, multiple businesses, failed at multiple businesses. And then uh, I started a ground transportation business on the internet uh, many years ago, uh, late nineties, um, was able to sell that company about two years later uh, during the dot-com boom. Uh, the company went bankrupt. I bought it. I ended up buying it back at a fire sale, uh, fire sale price, owned it again for another, I don't know, four or five years, made millions in that ownership. And then I sold it again, uh, sold in the same company twice, which is an interesting story. Mm -hmm. um, so after I sold the company the second time and you know the company was very, very profitable, I said to myself, oh my God, I never need to work another day in my life. And that's when I said, hey, what, what do you wanna do? you know, something that may not be, you know, may not be economically viable. And for me, it was writing. Um, I've been writing my entire life. And uh, I knew I wanted to write a book about entrepreneurship, uh, specifically Fastlane entrepreneurship, which creates these asymmetrical wealth events, where you ultimately can generate wealth very quickly, uh, you know, in five or 10 years, as opposed to the mainstream narrative of, waiting 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and waiting for stock market magic. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't, I don't delve into that. Um, my my uh, whole philosophy is about 
leveraged entrepreneurship that can create asymmetric events. So you can live a life of doing exactly what you want to do uh, without worrying about money. Because uh, another big, big narrative um, in the particular entrepreneurial community is this follow your passion and, and do what you love and all that stuff, which all sounds wonderful, but ultimately uh, very few people can actually do that because the market they engage in is not based on a need. It's not based on value. It's based on selfish, selfish interest. You know, I love to sew. So I'm going to sew these blankets. Well, the market don't need blankets. Uh, so that's the kind of, um, the end game I have there is where you can actually follow your passion, even when that passion pays nothing or actually may be draining of finances, that you have that kind of power, that kind of freedom is incredibly liberating. So I guess diving back into your story, MJ, like when you were an entrepreneur with, I believe it was limos.com, but what were some of the biggest hurdles you had to personally overcome um, just to make it succeed? Uh, I, I had to start off being the jack of all trades. I taught myself how to code. Um, and this was back in a day where, you know, yeah, <laughs> it, it, you couldn't simply download WordPress and you're in business. This was, mm -hmm. this was, you had to, um, you know, which was actually an advantage because not everybody then can compete against you. Uh, you, you had to have some kind of education with coding. And that for me was, I self taught myself that, uh, it really was a just-in-time learning experience. Um, I never, you know, felt like I knew everything. I never felt like I felt, you know, that I knew where I was going. It was, you solve one problem, you move on to the next, you move on to the next. It was literally a million problems that you solve one after another. I call it mm -hmm. um, in my new book, The Great Rat Race Escape. I call it, you become a problemologist. And that is you solve one problem after another. And that really never goes away as an entrepreneur is you're solving problems. And the problems can be product related. They could be uh, employee related. Uh, uh, you know, how do I manage employees? What's the payroll? How do I scale? Uh, how do I deal with this channel? How do I deal? It, everything is a problem mm -hmm. that literally... Uh, you have to solve. So getting into that mindset that, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm a problemologist, and I have to be ready to solve problems every single day, because that's what this is. Mm -hmm. so, so I guess even the shift from, because you said you were, you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, and you were doing magic shows uh, as a kid, like, where did that kind of come from, that, that spark to just go out and try things out and to figure it out and to solve problems? Like, were your parents very entrepreneur, entrepreneurial or were you? No, good? my, um, I was raised in a single mother household where getting food on the table was always an issue. Um, I remember, you know, she, she was, uh, struggling to find, find work after, after my father left. So mm -hmm. it was always a constant, uh, struggle to, to, I guess, normalize things financial-wise. She didn't know when the next uh, mortgage payment was coming from. I know uh, my grandpa, her father had to help her. So for me, it was, you know, I don't want to live like this when I'm, you know, 35, 40 years old. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sparked the fire for me. And then when the, when the incident happened with the car, that connected all the dots for me. 
like, okay, this is the path. Because originally I was thinking about um, going into um, finance as an employee for, I don't know, an insurance company or a brokerage house or something. Um, but that that was sidetracked when I uh, was turned on to entrepreneurship as a viable career path, not a not just a career path, but a way of living. Yeah, and I love that, MJ, because I guess the reason why your story is very inspiring to me is because there's a lot of hardship there, right? And um, I guess, like you mentioned, you grew up in, in a single mother household and it was tough at points, but you kind of built yourself into the individual you are today. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, could you speak on like overcoming hardship and the importance as an entrepreneur? Um, I think you, you, you ultimately have to have faith in yourself and know that ultimately what you are doing, um, if you're being value driven, um, that you will figure it out because, mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people fail because they're, they're dealing with the wrong foundation. Um, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, you know, the follow your passion, all that stuff. A lot of those people end up failing because they're not really addressing any market pain points. They're not delivering value skew to the market. And they can't understand why no one is buying their product, their fitness product, because there's a billion other fitness products out there that are competing with them and they're not the best mm -hmm. marketer or they're not, you know, they don't have the deepest pockets. So ultimately their passion becomes a hate. Uh, so, and actually that's when things turned around for me. I mentioned earlier that I failed, um, at, I, I lost count. It was probably six or seven businesses and every single one of them was based on my passion. And, uh, you know, I wasn't passionate about ground transportation or anything like that, but that's what I, that's what I went into. And, um, once I started self-developing, um, becoming a better person through that process, um, the passion arrived. And I think that's uh, what people have to understand is passion does not lead, meaning I'm going to follow this, but it actually follows your effort. So mm -hmm. if you think about it, anytime you accomplish some task that you, you didn't think you were, might, it might've been up to the feeling afterwards you get is just incredible because you conquered a fear. You did something new. You learned a new skill. Like, um, believe it or not, uh, I have an ATV that the battery was dead in. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not very mechanically inclined. And I, I gave it to my wife. I said, Hey, could you change the battery in my ATV? And, uh, she went on YouTube and, um, an hour later she came in, she goes, yeah, I did it. And, you know, she was all excited because she did something she didn't, she didn't think she could do, but all she did was follow instructions. She solved the problem. She got the wrenches out and it was done. So that's what I'm saying is when you learn something new, when you, when you conquer goals, when you conquer fears, and that's what entrepreneurship is. And that's when the passion arrives. So when someone is telling you your product is absolutely awesome, it changed my life. That's when you're going to feel passion. Um, even though you may not be passionate about a particular industry or whatever the space is. But when you're, when you're helping, generally helping other people, there's an incredible amount of passion in that. So for me, it was always uh, self-development. I, I, heard, a, I mm -hmm. heard a quote the other day, and 
I, I don't know who said it and I apologize to whoever said it. If you're listening to this, he said, um, you don't build a business, the business builds you. And that's truly what happens with entrepreneurship. Well, holy. So I guess, if, can you dive deeper into that? Like, what, what does that mean? The business builds you. The business builds you because you have to become something new in order to build something successfully. Who you are right now is probably not enough to who you need to become. So as you're building the business, like I said, when I was building my company, everything was a problem. So every problem I solved, they became a new me. So it's, it's a progression of self-development. The business is building you through its challenges, through its obstacles that you have to solve. 100%. Yeah, no, that, that that I definitely resonate with that because I think, I guess from, from my point of view, like I'm, I'm new to this, but I feel like entrepreneurship is almost like a self-development pro- program because it forces you to like get out and, you know, do things that you don't necessarily enjoy doing, but you learn to get kind of good at it. And then yeah. I feel like you have to learn new skills and acquire, like, just like you learned, taught yourself how to code back in the day when you, you didn't have the easy manuals or WordPress, right? It was yeah, yeah. Very, and very and I, I, one, one say, statement I always say is no, don't do what you love, do what you hate, because that's where you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. Getting out of your comfort zone. And I'm not saying you have to, uh, you know, go scoop cow manure for the rest of your life because you hate that. And that's not what I'm saying. But a good example of that is I'm an introvert. So I don't like doing podcasts, but here I am mm-hmm. doing this with you. I don't like public speaking. I don't like getting up on a stage, but I do it. I hate that stuff, but I do it. Because afterwards, I feel incredible passion because I conquered that fear and I get better at it. Mm-hmm. So when you when you focus on doing some of these things that you hate, um, you turn into a different person. The person I am today over five years ago is totally different versus 10 years ago is totally different. I wrote The Millionaire Fast Lane in 2007, started writing it. Uh, it was released in 2010. I actually had to edit it. Uh, recently for the 10-year anniversary edition. And as I was reading it, I almost didn't recognize who wrote it because it was a different me back then. Mm -hmm. So if you're not looking at yourself from five years ago and saying, who's that guy? You're doing life wrong. You have to be constantly changing and becoming a new person. I think this is why a lot of marriages fail is because people get uh, get married too young and they become different people. And, you know, by the time they're 30, they're two totally different people and they end up getting divorced. Yeah. yeah and I, I think I definitely really relate to you because I'm just like you, MJ, like I'm an introverted person. And I know uh, back in college, I, at the second year, I used to play a lot of video games, League of Legends, like every day, I, I, but mm-hmm. they got bad because I couldn't even like look people in the eye. I couldn't even like shake their hand. Mm-hmm. And look I at realized, you now. Yeah. But I realized there's a major problem. I was like, oh, I need to like, change this. I need to get into sales. Like, cause I saw like Grant Cardone and those guys like, Oh, like if I can sell, I can be like successful mm-hmm. and, you know, talk to people, be normal. But um, yeah, I just feel like doing the things that you hate, like cold calls or, um, you know, building a business when you don't really know what you're doing, like yeah. you, you learn as you go. Yeah. But, and um, this, um, mm-hmm. you know, you being a salesman, it's probably not something you're going to do for the rest of your life. But this, mm-hmm. this experience right now, you said you were, you were involved in sales. That is going to help you tremendously as an entrepreneur, especially mm-hmm. if you're, if you know, you, you sound like me, you're introverted, you don't like being in a social situation. So you're forcing yourself 
into these situations um, that force you to grow. So they won't be a problem later on. Say you have a big company and you need to speak in front of a group. You're not going to be as, as nervous or, or frantic about that. So it's a wonderful stepping stone for what you're doing, especially when you recognize that uh, you're not the best at it or, you know, that's something you might fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was very interesting too, because I used to work at um, ClearCo and they gave capital to like, uh, like e-commerce founders. Mm -hmm. and, and I was on the, the, the side of like just giving these, giving capital to these founders. And a lot of the entrepreneurs I met, like they were running like crazy, like million dollar businesses, but they just seemed like regular people. <laughs> like I was oh, like, sure. Yeah. yeah. I was like shocked sometimes. I was like, wow, like, like, yeah, I feel like this is possible. <laughs> like people can actually do yeah. this, but um, I guess, yeah, coming back to you, MJ, like I'm really curious to, because I know you talk a lot about society and I've thought about this too, at how, at how like, we're not necessarily trained to become entrepreneurs or trained to understand finance or like um, success in that sense. But yeah, I guess like one thing that I feel like is an issue in the world is we're not really taught entrepreneurial skills, like how to be an owner or how to build your own business or how to do sales, how to do marketing. Um, and I'm not sure like why, why is that? Uh, because there's an agenda behind the scenes. Um, Entrepreneurship is uh, a way to socially climb the economic ladder into positions of power. Um, and people in power uh, don't necessarily want that. I mean, look at uh, Elon Musk and mm -hmm. um, Mark Zuckerberg, what he has done with his wealth politically, whether you agree with it or not. He's bound in a position of power where he can manipulate and influence power. Um, an entrepreneur, he did that as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, so all these um, people in positions of power, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post. Well, gee, what kind of narrative can he construct uh, in the world? So there's, there's it, the, the agenda, I don't want to say agenda, but the culture promotes an employee mindset, work five days a week, uh, work for that weekend, Repeat it for 50 years. If you have any excess income, uh, give it all to stock market where mm -hmm. you will invest in companies who, um, you know, fund this paradigm, uh, consumption paradigm, whether it's media, television, food, food that is terribly bad for you, that gets you sick, that funds the pharmaceutical companies. It's just one big circle jerk and entrepreneurship for me has been an escape uh, into that. And this is what I call the script. This is my second book. It's called Unscripted. Uh, when you start to recognize these power structures uh, and, and how they're manipulating you um, to live a particular narrative, um, it really is eye-opening and disturbing mm -hmm. um, that people, people just do it without question. They don't question why why am I getting up at six in the morning on Monday uh, and fighting traffic at a job I hate? So I'm underpaid and I do this five days a week and I'm supposed to do it for the next 50 years because my culture, my parents, my university, my media all promote this way of life. It is normal. So if it was normal to eat large obese crickets with barbecue sauce, they would do it because that's what their culture is telling them to do. 
so my second book, Unscripted, is a way of using entrepreneurship and to look into behind the curtain to see what's going on um, and how you're being manipulated into this mediocrity, mediocre existence um, where, you know, and the big thing today is uh, you'll own nothing and you're going to be happy. Uh, so that's another that's another narrative. Uh, that's being promoted nowadays. Um, you know, they, they'll show these people that, oh, I retired at 40. And they, you know, they live in their trailers and they don't do nothing. They don't buy nothing. They don't eat out. It's just mm -hmm. a very ascetic lifestyle. Um, and that's not real financial freedom. That's that's just redefining the word. You know, culture likes to redefine words too nowadays. And I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole different ballgame. But they like to redefine things. So that's the new financial freedom where you don't do nothing all day. You don't consume nothing. And that's not a that's that's a poor example of financial freedom. It's it's aesthetic and minimalistic. Mm -hmm. And um, that again, there's another agenda behind that. So once you pull the curtain down, things become a lot more easy because you can see the manipulation tactics at work and you can be a better uh, person to uh, defend against that stuff. Believe me, when I graduated college, you know, it wasn't as bad then, but still I had people constantly asking me, when am I going to interview for jobs? You know, I graduated near the top of my class and it was like, you're not looking for a job? No, I'm not. And uh, people didn't understand that. My mother didn't understand it. Uh, so that's that's the script. Uh, people want you to follow a script, and um, you know, and and essentially they're being programmed by the media. I mean, my avatar on my Fastlane forum is, says, "I currently support whatever the thing is." And whatever the thing is, is whatever the media is promoting. You know, it was vaccinations, then it was masks, and then it was, now it's Ukraine. It's like whatever these media organizations are filling people's heads with is what they're going to do. And it's actually sad to see that there's no critical thinking uh, questioning the experts. You know, the same experts who said more doctors smoke camels than any other doctors. You know, the same experts. So it's just a, it's a big it's a big Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole that just people refuse to actually examine. Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting too because I I read your second book, Unscripted, and like a few things that stuck out to me was like avoiding excess consumerism, like getting caught in that consumeristic trap. Um, the idea of like being a problem solver and the idea of like time, like the way you look at time, like not working. Like, I think it was one thing you said, like work every single day, like don't, don't work five days a week, have two days of re relaxation. Yeah. That's, a, that's a bad investment. And uh, I heard this in a podcast too, but they were saying that like typical, like horror movies, like when they put them out to the American public, they're not like typically rewatchable, but they make them for the trailer. And this guy's theory was that when you put out horror movies that are like scary into the American public, it puts people in a state of fear and people are in a state of fear. They're they're better at buying products or like oh, they're, yeah. they're more emotionally charged. So like they're going to consume better. So yeah, uh, yeah. Very, <laughs> it's uh, very interested. Yeah. And, 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 you know, on the consumerism issue is what's, what's wrong with um, that is you got people here buying all kinds of stuff that they can't afford. And what happens is it locks them into the work, save, uh, pay down debt, repeat, 
thing. You know, as their income increases, so does their consumption. Mm -hmm. uh, so th that's part of the trap. Now, there's a point where if you produce, if you produce phenomenally well, well, then maybe you can consume more. Um, you know, example, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, he, he he has a yacht, I'm sure of it, you know, I'm sure it's a huge yacht that yes. guzzles, guzzles a lot of gas and fuel, yeah. but, it, you know, he also, I'm, I'm sure that yacht has 40 employees on it. And mm. there's so many jobs created by that yacht, but he has produced so much value into the world um, through his businesses mm -hmm. um, and also given jobs to thousands of people. You know, most of them good, some of them not so good, you know, depending on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. um, but but he's a producer. So he, now he can consume at will whatever he, whatever he wants. Uh, so there's a balance there with production and consumption. Um, I'm not suggesting, you know, do nothing, buy nothing and sit around and put your VR headset on and do nothing. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a there's a balance there where you can really live a great life and go to go to whatever restaurants you want every day, uh, have your house paid off, live in a great you know area, and you can still not be in debt. You still can do what you want and not have to worry about bills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and something that kind of scares me about the future too. Like I've I've talked to, like I seem to talk to people and get like a split decision on this, but especially some younger people like younger than me, but this idea of the metaverse and this idea that like I've talked to people and they say like, Oh, like I want to live in the metaverse and just live out like all my days there. <laughs> and it's always been kind of strange to me. Yeah. Is uh, it's yeah. another narrative that's starting yeah. to build. Um, so the media is going to promote that existence where all you, all you need to do is live in a shed. As long as you have your metaverse and your headset, you're going to be good because you're going to live the life you've always dreamed as long as that headset is on your head. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the guys that who are providing the headset are living actual dreams in their yachts and their big houses and their whatever they want to do. Um, so there's a everything is a, a lot of things are about control um, and keeping people into a fear based mindset, keeping people into a a a place where they cannot start making their own decisions. They cannot, you know, start um, social climbing into positions of power where they may influence the status quo. And, uh, you know, if that's of, of interest to you, entrepreneurship is a great way to attack uh, that way of living. Mm -hmm. so, so let's say, here's a question for you, MJ. Let's say you're in your 20s today and you go back to your 20s, but you're in our day and our, our, our era, right? Our time of living where there's all this, you know, the metaverse and, you know, all these different agendas and the way that life is set up. Um, and let's say you live in like a cons very consumeristic like household. Like how do you, how do you succeed from that? Like what, what, what would you do if you had to restart today? Well, I would look at um, what is um, what what is. I don't want to say I don't want to say a trend because a trend mm -hmm. implies it, it appears and then disappears. More of a shift, like change, is what creates millionaires and billionaires. And the people who detect that change 
are the ones who will social climb. Those are the ones who will get wealthy. Those are the ones who will own their freedom. Um, and it's, you know, it changes every couple of years. Uh, right now, I would say that's in the crypto space with Bitcoin because of government trying to control transactions and people are revolting against that. So an, in an incredible amount of Bitcoin and crypto uh, people uh, have become millionaires in the last couple of years. Um, you know, not just because they've invested in some coin, but because they're they're behind projects and stuff that are looking to shape this change. Um, you know, for me, you know, the internet was just evolving when I got involved and, you know, and then, then there's, it became Amazon, you know, a lot of people had made fortunes on Amazon because of the, the, the shift to e-commerce, uh, then, you know, self-publishing was big. That was a trend, uh, that, that made a lot of millionaires. So right now, and this is covered in my, um, new book, the great rat race escape. One, tr one trend is, um, I think, moving to a, a plant-based lifestyle or, or vegan. I've food. been vegan for five years, and it's really odd because uh, I, I don't, you know, usually people that are um, vegan are, are associated with a particular political mm -hmm. angle or something, like socialist or something. And I'm so far from that, but um, that is something that... Uh, I see is dramatically changing. And um, because of people are becoming more aware of the animal agriculture. And uh, that's a trend that is um, being, uh, being adopted by younger generations who have access mm -hmm. to more information. And, uh, you know, as a, as a 50 plus year old man, I'd never have thought five years ago that I would eat, you know, entirely plant-based. Um, but it has been wonderful for my health. And I see that I see that a lot. And that's a big space that has been growing and I think will continue to grow. And remember, I talked about agenda. There's actually an agenda behind it, too. Um, and I and I recognize that is that, you know, governments and politicians, um, you know, because of climate change and, you know, meat production is viewed as very climate intense so there's 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 a um, government uh, an interest in promoting that. So for me, that that's like, oh, well, what a great space to be in, because not only um, is it growing, but you have uh, moneyed interests that are promoting it as well. Um, you know, celebrities and, and media outlets and governments and whatnot. So. Um, that that to me is what you what you have to be on the lookout is is people fear change. No, you need to embrace the change because that's what's going to make you wealthy. That's what's going to change your life. If you mm -hmm. resist that change, you're going to be left behind like 99% of the world. 100%. And no, that's, yeah, I like that a lot too. And I think just looking at trends, um, and building a business around that is probably what, how you can reach like a target audience because you know there's um, interest there. Like the same, I feel like the same thing is kind of on YouTube making videos. You can sometimes see like which videos are uh, like in interesting. Like one of my videos I made was like a water fasting video because I saw like a, a little niche there. Mm -hmm. and it just became like a very watched video of mine. <laughs> like I, I don't know why, but yeah, you but, never uh, know what. And that's, yeah. and that's the interesting thing about entrepreneurship in the market is. You never know what's going to resonate with people. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, when I released the Millionaire Fast Lane, 
I, I didn't like it. I mean, I, I, I was happy it was done. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people who were asking me for it. And then, you know, the book went on to sell over a million copies, still sells great today. So that was a shock to me um, because people loved it. And, you know, uh, I love my third book. I think it's the best of all of them, but, you mm-hmm. know, it hasn't done as well as the first. So it's like, huh? So it's, you never know what's going to resonate with the marketplace. It's like a jury, you know, you, you give them the the data and they will either convict you of, you know, guilty or not guilty. So, and YouTube is just like that. You throw up a video, you think it sucks and boom, next, next thing you know, there's a million views on it. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that you're doing, like the one thing that I definitely caught me off guard with you is the stuff you write about in the millionaire fast lane, uh, unscripted one, one, and even unscripted, like the story it's, I feel like you're tapping a market because a lot of the stuff it's not the traditional advice, like the millionaire next door, for example, like yeah. I, I haven't read that book, but I know that was like a really popular book. And it's the whole idea of people, um, you know, just work a reg- regular job and like give all yeah. your money to wall street. And like, when you're like 80 years old, you'll be, a, you can retire a millionaire. And like, yeah, let, let me here. I'm going to, I'm going to save your yeah. listeners hours and hours <laughs> yes. of time right now. Every finance, get rich, wealthy book that you will ever read that is mainstream, you'll see it on the top of Amazon, you'll see it in the top, you'll see it being promoted on Audible. They all say the same thing. And let me give you the summation. Work hard, save your money, give it to Wall Street, meaning you invest it with Wall Street, be patient, repeat for 30, 40, 50 years, die rich there i just saved your readers thousands of hours for reading these books because they all same thing only investment that you need to invest in is indexed funds so work save buy index funds wait then retire rich so you can live out your last five years rich but you die rich so Mm -hmm. it's it's uh, incredibly, um, it's, it's the same narrative over and over every, every month or every year is a different best-selling book that all says the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that definitely I see with that is this, this idea of giving up control because like recently I took like this uh, sales training course with, uh, and, and the guy was saying that the best salespeople, they, they, they're not the type they're like, um, like they control the sale. Like you, you have to be able to control the sale. Like every, every interaction, there's an objective and you don't want to be the person who's like, you're not, you don't know, you're giving up control to the prospect. Like you're controlling the wholesale from start to close. Like there's, there's a reason for why you're, why you're helping them. And I think the same thing with like Wall Street too. Like if you give all your money to them, like you kind of take control and put it in an institution's hand, hands where if you build a business or you know, yeah. on like, uh, do things that, that you can do, like even cryptocurrency, right? You control that. And yeah. I feel like that's, it's, there's a lot of value in that. Sure. But, and, um, and, um, and for people who aren't familiar with my work, the reason why I'm impugning that is because as you said, you don't have control over it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to sweat bullets when the stock market drops 10%. You know, uh, I, I haven't worried about the stock market in 25 years and I don't care what it does because my wealth is not a function of the stock market. Yes, I have investments in the stock market, but if they go to zero, they're not gonna affect my life. Mm-hmm. So when you rely on the stock market, you're essentially giving, you're giving control 
over to entities that you cannot control. That's the economy. That's political. Uh, new new politicians in office who want to do new things, and, and that's that's an arrangement I don't want. Mm -hmm. So a big part of my foundation um, is is two things. It's control, obviously. When COVID hit and all these businesses were shut down, my business wasn't affected. I actually my my business got better. I I had more revenue after by the time it was over. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of employees lost their jobs. Um, due to, again, things that they, they cannot control. And the stock market is one of those things. And because it's been on a 10-year tear, tear, just constantly going up, now all these people have this false delusion about it that it's always going to be going up. It's always going to be delivering me wealth while I work my job. And these people are in for a rude awakening. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen this year, next year, or the next couple of years, whatever, it will hit. And a lot of people say, oh, it always comes back. Yeah, well, you usually cannot survive the, down, the downfall. As mm -hmm. they say, is uh, the, the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And that eventually, I mean, I had that happen to me as the first time I sold my company. Yeah, is the, stock, stuff, um, the stock market just went through, this, through the thing. And um, I, I needed the money that I had in there. So I had to sell it. Um, and that's usually what ultimately happens is people get to a point where you can't just let it sit there anymore. You have to do something with it. Mm -hmm. um, and the other aspect of my philosophy is the importance of time, uh, namely youthful time. Uh, your time will never be more valuable than it is right now because of your youth. I will mm -hmm. never be my age, this age again. Um, this is the youngest I'm going to be right now. So if you're going to build wealth and have this freedom of the being able to go to concerts, do this, do that, travel, you don't want to do that when you're 65 or 70 because you may not be able to. And a good example is I just told you, I moved to Utah um, uh, uh, near Park City. Greatest, greatest skiing places in the world. You know what? I don't know how to ski and I'm not sure if I could ski. Uh, because I'm older. I've had multiple orthopedic surgeries. I've had shoulder surgeries. I've had elbow surgeries. I have a screwed up knee. Um, mm. I'm in great health, but I'm not sure I can ski at this age versus I guarantee you when I was 30, I could ski. So that's what I'm saying is when people are saying, oh, you're going to be rich by the time you're 50 or 55 or 60. Okay. Great, but that's not going to mean anything um, as your time value of your life starts to erode and your ability to do things that are of value to you. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, but yeah, I, I just love that. I think control and, and time, like especially especially in your youth, is like very important. But um, I guess coming back to skiing, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you could I'm sure you could do well at skiing because <laughs> you're, you're in great health too, right? So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. You know, I had COVID a couple of weeks ago and mm -hmm. breezed through that pretty well. Um, you know, I, I lift weights a couple of times a week, and yeah, so I'm in pretty good shape. But I've had a I've had a lot of um, sports injuries in my past, which mm -hmm. um, you know you can build muscle, but it's very hard to build. <laughs> I don't think you can build cartilage. Once it's gone, it's gone. So, you know, um, and that's, and that's 
important to, you know, health and wealth are the two important things that, um, you know, in relationships are very, very foundational to um, happiness. Mm -hmm. They actually done research on that, that autonomy, control and freedom uh, represents about half of someone's happiness quotient, which explains why entrepreneurs are usually, you know, the most happiest people on the planet, because they have a sense of control and autonomy in their life and nobody telling them what to do. Granted, some of them work six, seven days a week, but they have control over that. You know, I can work six, seven days a week, I can work three days a week. Ultimately, it is my decision. So um, that's a very important fact um, that your audience uh, should heed is, you know, you want to be happy. Freedom is a big, big portion of that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I guess I want to always ask you this question, MJ, but this kind of leads into freedom and, and happiness. But what does what does success mean to you now looking back at your life? Uh, success means getting up when I want to get up. No alarm clocks. Um, success means uh, living how I want to live my day with nobody telling me how to live my day. Success means um, writing what I want to write without a publishing company telling me, yeah, you can't write that. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. Success to me is logging into my, you know, bill pay account and not worrying about, oh my God, where, how am I going to pay this electric bill? How am I going to do this? Um, it's being able to wake up in the morning, you know, look at my family and say, Hey, I'm not going to work today. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to hang out with you guys. I'm going to throw the ball with the dog in the backyard. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's that to me is uh, success. Success also um, on the work end is being able to provide value to other people uh, to, to actually make an impact in the world um, and having uh, you see that impact. Um, a good saying is, I'm planting trees that I'm never going to sit under the shade of. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I'm gone, you know, whatever it is, 10, 20, 30 years from now, um, I know my, my work, my work will live on. Um, you know, it's, it's surprisingly has lasted this long. So I'm confident that they will last beyond me because what I what I wrote about is pretty evergreen, just mm -hmm. as relevant as it is today as it was 10 years ago. So when, when books remain um, in the lexicon like that, that's how you know that they're evergreen um, and they're valid. Like Thinking Grow Rich, that was written, I don't know, 70 years ago. People are still talking about it. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, another one. That's That was written in 2002, I think. Um, people still recommend that uh, because the information in there uh, tends to be transcendent and uh, will be valuable 10 years from today. 100%. And I think that is especially difficult to do, but I, I think, yeah, your legacy is, is going to live on because um yeah like what you wrote about what you what you create you essentially created that like uh, out of nothing like it, it you just yeah and it's yeah. and i tell you it's um yeah, it's, it's it's an un, it's a feeling that's it's very hard to describe um you know when i when i pull up to my um house a beautiful house i look at it and i go i can't believe that's a product of my 
invention, my ingenuity, my creative work, because I, you know, I'm not a VP for a corporation. I didn't get stock options from a corporation. You know, it was all self done. And, and just being able to reflect on that um, to me, I do a lot of reflection, self-reflection, gratitude, whatnot. Uh, I pinch myself in the morning, just, just unbelievable. Like, oh my God, I can't believe this is my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, I'm very um, uh, gratuitous uh, with what I've accomplished. I don't try to take it for granted, uh, especially with the way that the things in the world have, are today. Uh, but um I, I don't even know the question that we, I just was just <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I think one thing too that I just this popped it popped into my mind while you're speaking, but like hopefully one day I'll, I'll, like if I build a business and it succeeds, I'm gonna get to this point too. But I think the best I think winning the lottery for me would be not growing up wealthy and then you know creating a business and like becoming wealthy, like like because you you have like the uh, like you, like you can look back like let's say at some point. If I ever become yeah. a millionaire, fingers crossed, I could look back and be like, whoa, like I remember when I was like, yeah. like that was this is, well, this is winning, cool. winning the lottery will rob you of the process. Mm-hmm. It will rob you of the self-development that you need to become that. Mm-hmm. And that's why you often hear of millionaires who win the lottery, they're broke usually five or six years later mm-hmm. because they don't have that self-development. They don't have the the uh, the day-to-day, oh my God, I made, you know, hey, I made $3,000 today. That's that's a new record for me. You know, having that, that, that um, anchor to the past, to the story that you've created is mm-hmm. missing when you win the lottery or if you inherit money. It's another... Another process stealer. Um, that's why a lot of trust fund kids, you know, people, um, kids with from wealthy parents, the kids end up, go, you know, getting getting addicted to drugs and other things that lack meaning and purpose because they have no they have no anchor to a process of self development that molds them into the person that they're going to become. Hundred percent, and I think in that case, like if you like. I just read like Dan Dan Blazarian's book. <laughs> it's kind of random, but like his, I think his dad was uh, was loaded like worth like like half a half a billion dollars or something. Yeah. But uh, I feel like yeah, he probably had a hard life. Like just like like he was very wealthy, but like he definitely did have a hard life because like there's like there's not that challenge, you know. <laughs> like you want yeah. everyone wants challenge, and it's funny because he says one of the best parts of his life was going to uh, try and become a Navy SEAL. And like he went to, uh, mm-hmm. like, yeah, he did, he did two hell weeks, and that was like well, the best part of his life, like the struggle. Like he, yeah. he always talks about that. So, yeah, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. the struggle is a big part of it. And um, you know, if you avoid the struggle, if you seek comfort, you're gonna live a pretty mediocre life. It's a fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a fact. And uh, the more comfortable you are, the less growth you will endure. And I think that's a problem with a lot of society and culture nowadays is there are ultimate consumers of comfort. Um, and anything that is discomforting, whether it's a, uh, an opinion of someone they don't like, they have a epic meltdown mm-hmm. because your opinion is triggering to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to have a, you know, a, a bitch and moan fest about it mm-hmm. um, because it, it attacks their comfort. So um, it's kind of a plague on society uh, that um, they want comfort, but they don't want to earn the comfort that they want. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of a catch 22 and it's probably a whole nother podcast behind that. But um, the more discomforting you get um, self uh, inflicted, uh, the more growth you will endure. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you have to live a life of total discomfort, but like I said, you know, public speaking, doing, doing the things that you say to yourself, do I want to do that? Yes. You want to do that. Mm-hmm hundred percent. And I think even looking at Canada and the U S let's say, I think one of the biggest strengths that let's say when you look at America, that America has is almost like this idea that, yeah, there, there is uncomfortable, like uncomfortability there because there's so much diversity, so much unique thoughts, so much, you know, different ideas. And there's like, of course, there's going to be like political sides and clashes and Mm -hmm. people getting offended. But I think that gives America strength because there's so much creativity there. It's like the diversity gives it strength because um, that's where you get like the Silicon Valley's, that's where you get the apples, like these massive companies, you don't really see other countries do that because we we get to argue and, you know, have freedom of speech, yeah. and, like just throw ideas around. And and I think that's a great thing to have. Yeah, the, the diversity mm-hmm. is excellent. Um, what the problem with it is that the media likes to uh, stoke the fires of that diversity, which creates division and conflict. I think if if I think um, if if that was eliminated, um, you know, there'd be no problem with diversity. Everyone would get mm-hmm. along, and, and they'd be able to talk to each other. But um, the media stokes these flames that it just creates. I think these un these. Um, I don't want to say unrealistic, but uh, uh, illusionary con- divisions that really aren't as bad as they seem. Um, you know, uh, when you when you engage in your local community, you see, you know, pretty much everyone is happy and talking to each other and whatnot. It's just when you get to the national level at these corporate media organizations, they're there to instoke uh, discord and division and hatred. And uh, that's all they do is they fan those flames and they create these bigger divisions that um, in reality probably aren't there as much as they, as they seem. hundred percent agree. And I think maybe part of that is because uh, I don't want to get down the rabbit hole too far, but I heard that like the pharmaceutical industry is um, like the, one of the news is like top advertisers. So like, if, of course, if they show like all this chaos and negativity, um, people are in, in like a negative state. So like when they see the pharmaceutical ad, they're like, oh, like, let's, <laughs> let's, <laughs> but yeah, uh, like someone, someone posted uh, a, a clip of a bunch of news organizations reporting on COVID and, and, and after it says sponsored by Pfizer, it's like, okay, so how, how are you supposed to trust a news organization where their news benefits a pharmaceutical organization? So that's why you have people doubting the narrative because mm-hmm. there's an agenda behind it and um i mentioned um i went plant-based five six years ago i was doing the re- part of the reason I, I did a lot of research on it and oh my god you wouldn't believe the moneyed interests that are also against that you know people that's you know sit on the beef council and the dairy industry mm-hmm. and all these people that are fighting um, any kind of clinical studies that show evidence that that stuff may be harmful to people's health. Um, so the truth is entirely muddied by these people with uh, moneyed interests behind their agenda, especially when they're in parts of government. So you're never going to get change, 
when the moneyed interests are supporting a particular narrative that is against uh, what they represent, even though it is not reflective of the truth. And that's a lot of the problems we're dealing with today. This is just too much, there's just too much corruption. Um, and by corruption, I don't mean that they're, you know, bribing people. But, you know, if I work for, you know, GM, I'm going to promote cars. I mean, it's just, it's just a way, it's a natural human behavior. And to expect otherwise is just being foolish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why your work is so important, MJ, because I think what you offer people is a way to think for themselves and take control of their life, right? I think that's really what what you taught me is like, yeah, take control. Like you take control and think for yourself and solve problems <laughs> and, and things usually work out. But um, I know like we're, we just reached the hour, so I don't, don't want to take up too much of your time. But um, number one, where, where can people find you and discover your work and learn more about uh, the Millionaire Fastlane Forum and everything? Sure. That you um, my, any of my books can be found on Amazon real easy. They're usually less than 20 bucks. Um, I do not, that's all I sell. I do not have up, I do not have upsells. I don't sell coaching programs, you know, these, you know, join my seminars, five thousand. I don't have any of that. The only way you can support me is to read my book, follow it, give me a review. That's it. I sell nothing else. Um, I also run the fastlaneforum.com. It's a business discussion forum that features people who are trying to achieve this lifestyle and many who have already done so. That has already uh, it has over 70,000 entrepreneurs at it. That also uh, is free. I'm there every single day contributing. So you can actually talk to me. I'm not, you know, in the in the background. I'm there every single day. I have a YouTube channel, has over 50,000 subscribers. I try to do a video a couple times, a couple of videos every month. Please subscribe there. And um, as I like to say, learning how to make a fortune should not cost a fortune. <laughs> 100% guys, well, definitely check out MJ's work. Um, I'll have all the links in the description, the Millionaire Fastlane Forum, um, the books, and his YouTube channel. And uh, I guess um, one last question for you, MJ, but this is more a philosophical one, but let's say, you know, let's say right now the whole world in the state that, it, that it's in, we just had like the Russia-Ukraine incident that's going on right now, but if the whole world could hear one message from MJ DeMarco right now, what would that be? Oh, oh my God, that's a loaded question. And, and I'm not sure I can answer it in five seconds because I wanted, I would want to deliver something um, bang for the buck. But um, since, since your podcast is called Zenfulness, um, I, I think these conflicts are a product of an egoic mind. Um, people not able to reflect on the consequences of their actions and, um, you know, of a few people that can have consequences on millions and thousands of people. Uh, so my message would be to um, take a breath, uh, meditate for 10 minutes, and try to reflect on what you are doing or what you're not doing. And don't let your mind ruin your life. Because um, I think the biggest battle that we all face is up here as opposed to out there. 100%. And there you have it, guys. There's MJ DeMarco. And uh, this is a, this is an amazing one. Thank you so much, MJ, for, you know, letting me uh, interview you and have this conversation. This is, this is awesome. But 
Um, yeah, uh, I guess I'll leave it at that. And <laughs> um, other than that, definitely check. I'll definitely be making more podcasts soon. So I'll see you guys in the next episode of the Zenfluence podcast. But uh, yeah, absolutely love this one, MJ. And uh, thank you so much for it. Thanks for having me.